Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Milwaukee, start your engines. It's time to talk about all things racing. NASCAR, IndyCar, sports cars, and Formula One. This is the Final Inspection Show, presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove. Now, here's your host, Steve Zaki. Welcome into the Final Inspection Show here on Sports Radio 105.7 FM. The fan, Jeff Orlowski, the Polish pipe bomb, steering this ship today. Mr. Steve Zaki, he's out in Arizona on a workcation Let's call it more of a vacation, but we'll give him a little bit of credit, I guess. Uh, He will be joining us on the phone here in just moments, so don't go anywhere. But a big show for you today. Like always, Dennis Michelson from D-Mike Media. He's going to join us. Eddie Lapine from uh, RacingNation.com will join us as well. You'll hear... Press conferences from all of the final four drivers that uh, participated in the uh, finale at Homestead, Miami. Kyle Busch, he is your 2019 uh, Monster uh, Energy Cup Series champion this year. So love him or hate him, you're stuck with him. He wins his second uh, NASCAR Cup title. And uh, besides Jimmy Johnson, is the only active driver with multiple titles. Speaking of Jimmy Johnson, let's bring in uh, Steve Zaki on the uh, Great Midwest Bank Hotline. We call him uh, Steve, I'm talking about here, the seven-time champ. So, uh, Steve, how's uh, Arizona treating you, buddy? Uh, Pretty nice. No complaints on this side. Uh, It is uh, almost clear. Some uh, high wispy clouds, I guess you could call them alto cumulus or cirrus clouds, and uh, temperatures right around seventy. Okay, it's you l- here. used a lot of words with lots of syllables. I am thoroughly confused. Uh, so, what did you think of uh, Kyle Busch taking the title uh, at Homestead? Well, it is fitting that the five idiots that made predictions on our show last week nobody picked Kyle Busch. So everybody who was listening to the show should have ran onto their online gambling site and put all their money on Kyle Busch. They'd be a rich person today. Yeah, absolutely. Amazing that Kyle Busch entered the finale as basically the underdog. And, you know, like you said, nobody here picked him. Uh, most people weren't picking him. He, You know, you, if you want to call it struggling, he hadn't won a race in, in a few months, which for Kyle Busch is a long time. But for him to enter anything as quote unquote the underdog is pretty remarkable in and of itself. And I think 
I, I think the consensus is that he probably could have won Phoenix and he let Denny Hamlin win. In that case, you know, he wanted to be the good team player and he understood the circumstances, you know, going into that race and by, you know, letting him win, I guess. And I, I certainly, you can always see frustration. I mean, if there's a, there's, there's nobody who gets more frustrated finishing second than Kyle Busch. Uh, you know, he, he, you know, for when you see him in post-race interviews, he, you know, he's, you're always like, man, that guy really seems to be pissed off. That's because he is. He's that competitive of a person. So I think he kind of kept to himself. I think he, he excelled at being the underdog and had a chip on his shoulder because of the, the winless uh, streak that he did have. And he thinks, you know, you guys keep talking about those other guys, and I'm, I'm just going to go out there and win it, and that's what happened. Kyle Busch with a chip on his shoulder. Huh, who would have thought? So uh, <laughs> the big news uh, that came out right after uh, Homestead, good old Jimmy Johnson going to step away after the upcoming 2020 NASCAR season. So 36 more point races for J.J., and then he's done. What are your thoughts on that, uh, Steve? You know, and we were we've been talking about this off and on for the last second half of the season, and especially for me, I, when you know when you see when you would see him at the track when they would interview him during practice sessions or after qualifying or after the races, he just seemed to be someone who seemed kind of frustrated, perplexed, and not having fun. And add to you know the lifestyle that his his car owner, Jeff Gordon, and a teammate and whatnot that he's living. You know, here's Jeff Gordon, who I'm sure is texting him or emailing him, hey, I'm going out to France this week, I'm going here, I'm going there, all these things. Meanwhile, you know, Jimmy has to go to Richmond or somewhere that he probably feels he's not going to be the most competitive. It's got to be frustrating. And And plus, he's got two young girls at home, his daughters, they're in school, and you could see just by the press conference how invested he is with those kids. He moved the press conference to 4 o'clock because they had tests that they had to take care of at school, and they couldn't get off. So, you know, he, he's got a he's one of these guys who has a life outside of racing, and it's a very interesting life. And with his lifestyle, you know, let's face it, he's in the 1%, and he lives a lifestyle that most of us would love to have. And you know this this gives him that opportunity, and you know let's let's see what happens. Is he going to win an eighth championship? No, uh, I don't think so. Uh, let's hope he wins a race next year. But uh, I'm just I I've just got a hunch. Uh, I think we might know who. Oh, if if you ask me, I think I know who might be going in that 48 car. All right. Well, I just think it's amazing that all of a sudden. You know, Jimmy Johnson has uh, struggled. This is uh, year two of his struggles. But, uh, you know, he struggled the last couple years. And when he was on top of the world and winning championships left and right, there was no talk of wanting to spend more time with your family. Now, all of a sudden, Mm -hmm. uh, times get tough. Chad Knauss gets moved. Uh, Everything is different. And you're not racing for wins. You're uh, battling for 20th on a week-in, week-out and now all of a sudden you want to spend more time with your family. Just uh, seems a little convenient to me, but, uh, you know, what do I know? What do I know? But uh, who do you see stepping into the 48 in the future? Well, it's between Kyle Larson. Uh, you know, he, he, he re-signed with, with 
Ganassian, to my understanding, he's only signed through the 2020 season. So that's a Chevy car. I'm sure, you know, Chevy for themselves, they've been, they've been shut out of the, the final four now two years in a row. And they want to up their NASCAR program. They're investing. You know, you, you look at what Toyota, Chevrolet, and Ford invest in that NASCAR program. It's a lot of money. And Chevy is not happy with the results. So, you know, with, with Will, Will, Will Byron, you know, with the 24 car and the 88 car, you got some young drivers in there, but maybe they want somebody with a little more experience in the 48 car. I just think Kyle Larson is a no-brainer. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that um, Hendrick, I think Chevy, anybody who can needs to get involved in this. And if you have to buy out Kyle Larson, I would try to do everything in my power, you know, to make sure that he slides straight into that 48. He is by far the best choice. But I do think that with Jimmy Johnson retiring, it puts a lot of pressure now on Rick Hendrick because he's got to make sure that his program is headed in the right direction. They have struggled uh, these last couple years, and a lot of people could blame it on the youth movement with, you know, you got Chase, Bowman, um, you know, and it's it's a very young team over there, but uh, their program is not where they used to be. No, it isn't, but you, you, you can see some where they're getting good at certain tracks and whatnot with Chase Elliott, and I think bringing in somebody like uh, you know like Larson, who's never really been able to have a car in uh, a team that's been com- competitive at all the tracks, only at some of the tracks. And I, I think with, with, with if, you're, if they're able to bring him on, and it looks like I'm double-checking again, it looks like he's only signed through the 2020 season with, um, with Ganassi, which makes sense. I mean, I, I, you know, if I'm Kyle Larson, I don't want to, I don't want to sign for more than two years with with Ganassi, to be honest, because uh, you know Ganassi has made some strides. Uh, they're certainly better than they were last year, but they're still no more than a C plus B minus team in my book. And and they were really they made some nice inroads at the end of the year. You know, he was able to get to the final eight, but I, I really don't foresee that car being able to get or that team being able to get into the final four we've always said you know if he can get to homestead look out we were saying that for the last couple shows and you know he was competitive but even still it it it, he wasn't able to to really really push for the win last week yeah yeah you're definitely right on that now a lot of people have uh you know compared jimmy johnson to uh scott dixon and uh Kind of vanilla champions, kind of a little bit boring, a little plain. What do you think well, about yeah, that? It's got to be frustrating uh, to, to some people. I mean, you, you look at Jimmy Johnson, what he was able to just dominating the NASCAR, winning, you know, was it five in a row he won? And, you know, you would think there'd be 48s on all, all these cars, you know, 48 car de- decals. But, I mean, when was the last time you saw somebody running around with a Jimmy Johnson t shirt? Or a, uh, I mean, you'll see them at the racetracks and that. When I'm talking about shopping or going out, you know, you know, even even if uh, you know going to a dirt track or anything, you know, you don't see much Jimmy Johnson Johnson memorabilia, especially up here. And you know, Scott Dixon, I mean, 
the the three things that they have in common is they're both very very talented race car drivers. They're outstanding people to deal with, whether you're a fan or in the media or anything. They're just they're just super that way. And and you know, third, they're 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 just nice nice guys to deal. You know, just nice guys all around. But they just don't move the needle. You know, and it's whether it's vanilla or what. I mean, Scott Dixon is the IndyCar champion, but he can go shopping at Kroger at Indianapolis, and and not many people are going to notice him. You know, and you know Jimmy Johnson. I don't think it's is is, is the same way, but still, he's not Dale Jr. He's not Jeff Gordon. You know, and he's just he's both of these guys. I just think it's interesting. They've been the most dominating in their sport over the last ten years, but yet they nearly moved the needle in either sport when it comes to fan base. Yeah, and I found it interesting after the uh, finale in Homestead, David Land sent out a uh, couple tweets about how, you know, it just seems like uh, the the reaction from NASCAR Nation was kind of, meh, you know, it, it was very kind of uncaring uh, that uh, – that Kyle Bush won the championship. And I thought that uh, Kyle's reaction was very subdued. I, you know, the, the wonderful, the thing I love about Kyle Bush is his, you know, kind of F the world attitude. And uh, it gets under a lot of people's skin. And, uh, you know, he definitely is a monster on the track and the attitude and all that kind of stuff. I thought that he was going to kind of, you know, wave the middle finger. Ah, you call me an underdog. Well, here I am, and uh, and we didn't see a lot of that. But um, you know, I, NASCAR needs these big personalities in order for it to to move the needle. And uh, you're definitely right. Jimmy Johnson just wasn't that guy. So uh, some news out of uh, GMS Racing, Steve. Oh yeah, just before though, I wanted uh, Dustin Long on uh, NBC Sports. Uh, uh, dot com I had a pretty neat uh, st- article on Blaze Alexander. For those who don't remember, Blaze Alexander was a young and upcoming uh, stock car driver who unfortunately was killed in a ARCA race at Charlotte in 2001. And um, he was involved with a crash with uh, Kelly Earnhardt uh, and, you know, was, was slated for, for, you know, was one of these uh, drivers that was slated, you know, most likely he was going to make the next step up and talented driver i i and it's kind of cool i i i I, and this is one thing you know john jimmy johnson never pushed but uh it it starts the story here uh the the record books state jimmy johnson is a seven-time champion but they're wrong they credit him with 83 cup victories but again they're wrong the truth is johnson has never won in cup blaze alexander has always beat jimmy johnson across the finish line uh, Alexander and Johnson got to be close friends when they raced together in what is now the Bush series. As good friends, they made uh, is what made them want to beat each other and more. Uh, and it's such about it deals about how uh, Alexander was killed in the ARCA race in 2001. And earlier that night, Johnson had qualified for his first Cup race. And since that point, uh, uh, Johnson has always uh, put Alexander, Blaze Alexander's name on his front bumper. And as a kind of a tribute to this day uh, for his buddy, so I thought that was kind of a neat thing that he did. So, uh, but Blaze Alexander, very very talented driver, who unfortunately you know didn't make it to the next level. 
but yeah, with GMS Racing, uh, yeah, there. And I think this is something you're going to see a little bit more of as as we're getting closer to uh, uh, 2021 and the changes that are coming with NASCAR, especially when it comes to the money and that. Uh, they're shuttering their their uh, Xfinity uh, Xfinity uh, Series program and just going to rely on uh, the Truck Series and ARCA racing and leaving uh, your buddy, John Hunter Nemechek, without a ride in the Xfinity Series. Yeah, yeah, that is kind of surprising. You know, we talked about the money that that John Hunter can bring to the table as well. And, um, you know, it is kind of surprising that they would shutter that, especially when, uh, as of now, you know, you look at the ARCA Series, you look at the... Uh, prize purses in the truck series and they are remarkably low and once this new contract comes out and the money goes way way down even farther i can't imagine what uh what the the purses are going to be in those series going forward yeah it could get really ugly and you know it sounds like we're beating a drum but it's it's that's why you're why you had Roger Penske earlier this year saying that we'd meet that they moved the that they need to move to the next gen chassis in 2021 instead of 2022 because he's seen uh, uh, you know this is a guy who's got all his ducks in a row and and he's seen that you know hey there, there's going to be some issues coming up but Roger's one of these guys uh, who's also not only thinking about his team but he's thinking about the the uh, the health of the sport itself and this is something that really needs to be done. And, you know, the quicker they do it, and they need to reduce their, their costs. And, unfortunately, part of that reduction in costs, though, is going to be the need for less team people. And they they went through this about 10 years ago where they probably cut about a third of the, the crew guys in the garage area and at the, at the shops in Charlotte, and they might be going through this again. And, you know, if you're a crew guy and you're thinking, I don't know how long I want to be in this sport, well, you better start, you know, thinking about uh, alternative, you know, means of income uh, because there's a good chance you might be out of a job. Yeah, I know that uh, when you were looking over the uh, active win list, you found some interesting numbers. Yeah, it kind of is. You know, with with the guys that are involved, um, there's not – you know, there's some there's some big gaps there, and you, you're you're looking at um, drivers that can move up in that. You know, you got Jimmy Johnson at 83, Kyle Busch is now at 56, and there's a good chance. You know, I mean, let's face it, Jimmy Johnson he might get to 84, which is a kind of a big uh, is a big number because I think that's also where Bobby Allison and Kelly Arbor are. But then you have uh, Kyle Busch at 56. And then Kevin Harvick at 49, he's going to move up yet. And then Danny Hamlin will probably move up a little bit at 37. Kurt Busch is at 31. Maybe a one or two, you think? Uh, Brad Kowalski. Yeah, this is one I thought was interesting, too. Now, of course, I think he's in the series maybe a little bit longer. Brad Kowalski has 30 wins. He's He's had three wins in the last three seasons, so nine wins over three years. Uh, Martin Truex is with 26, and then Joey Logano at 23, and he had two wins. If you would have asked most people who had more wins this year, Brad Keselowski or Martin or uh, Joey Logano, I think a lot of people might have said Joey Logano. Yeah, and Brad Keselowski kind of snuck up, 
snuck up on people with three wins. Unfortunately, his timing and his DNFs were were horrible timing this year, and then, so he didn't get he didn't get very far in the playoffs this year. Uh, Ryan Newman is at 18. I don't foresee that going up more unless he gets a surprise win at Talladega or somewhere, but he's never ran well at restrictor place. Cal, uh, Clint Boyer's at 10. And mm. then we have, uh, and this is a one. <laughs> Here we go. Chase Elliott and Kyle Larson at six. And if you would have asked you know, myself, Sparky, or, or a number of people, you know, five, six, seven years ago that here we are at the end of 2019, Kyle, you know, Kyle Larson with six wins, we, we, we would have laughed at you. So that uh, hopefully that can move up. Uh, yeah, I agree. Ryan Blaney with three. And Ryan Blaney is this inter- it's interesting. He's had one win each of the last three seasons. So he's showing some consistency there. You know, that he's a young, he's still a young driver and he, he, that's somebody who could, uh, you know, if, if if it's if he starts hitting on all cylinders, him, the crew, and everything, you know, look out. He could uh, have one of these, uh, you know, blowout seasons. Yeah, and he's got the best hair in the series. Uh, we're getting <laughs> a, a new sponsor for the duels. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we we have. Um, it's 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 it. Unfortunately, this is where we are with, with the series. Um, so, you know, we get emails from NASCAR and whatnot, and I see Blue Blue Green Vacations to sponsor the duels at Daytona. I'm like, what the heck is that? Yeah. So I looked it up. It's, it's a timeshare. So, it, it you know, we, here we had, a, you know, back in the day we had Gatorade, we had STP, and now we have, uh, yeah, timeshare condos. So, yeah. have fun with that one. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's where the, and 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 well and this is why because you know you looked at the ratings the ratings have, have been down fifty percent from four years ago for the Homestead race which you know you and I were texting each other during that race it was it was brutal and you know I you know I know and I, I've always said you know race fans you know NASCAR has to work on just getting the racing better and working on racing stop being like the other sports because it's not. Because you know, I'm 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 a person with two TVs set up on my wall, and I'm, especially this time of the year, I'll have two. I'll have football on one and NASCAR on the other one. And I'm sorry, but I'm you know I'm a football guy. I've always been a football guy. I love both sports, but when when they're up against each other, football and racing, especially at a track like Homestead, football's more exciting. There's a lot more going on there than just these cars going. Yeah, the last two the races said, of the year were not a good look for NASCAR uh, with Phoenix you know, and Miami. They were both snooze fest. Yeah, and it, it, it the cars aren't doing anything. They're just going around in a circle. Yeah, They're, you don't see them getting sideways. You don't see the guys working the wheel. They're just like hooked up and just trying to find a groove, and it it just does not make good racing. I'm sorry. Yep, I agree. Well, Steve, thank you. We will talk to you uh, about one fifteen in the next hour and uh and get some more knowledge out of that brain of yours all right sounds good thanks jeff all right enjoy your suntan session before then sir (laughs) there's steve zaki join me on the great midwest bank hotline looking to buy build renovate or refinance in 2019 look no further and call great midwest bank today great midwest bank providing simply local common sense lending to your community since 1935 
want to thank Steve Zaki for joining his own show here on the Final Inspection Show. When we come back, we're going to hear from Kevin Harvick and Martin Truex after the race last weekend at Miami Homestead. You're listening to the Final Inspection Show here on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. This is Final Inspection with Steve Zaki. Presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragaway in Union Grove on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Welcome back to the Final Inspection Show here on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. Jeff Orlowski in for Steve Zaki. Uh, this week, he is on a workcation in Arizona. You just heard from him. He'll join me again in the next hour. So we will still be squeezing some of that knowledge out of the sponge brain of Mr. Zaki. Uh, now we're going to turn back to uh, Miami Homestead. And after the race, both Kevin Harvick and Martin Truex Jr., they sat down with the media to give their thoughts on uh, on the race, on their season as well. So here's Kevin Harvick and Martin Truex Jr. after Miami. Kevin, did you think you ever had anything for them at any point in this race? Um, on the restarts, I could, you know, I could do what I wanted to do, and and you know, I could hold them off for 15 or 20 laps right there. Um, and you know, this race has come down to that every year, and so. You kind of play towards that, and, and they were they were quite a bit better than us on on the long run. But um, you know we had a we had a real we had a really good car for those first those first 15 or 20 laps on the on the restarts and had a lot of speed. Just never got to never got to try to race for it there with a the caution. What happened on that restart where the 19 seemed to get he, he seemed to run? I just the- spun the tires and he ran in the back of me and just got jumbled up. Did you? Is it fair to say that you were outnumbered from the from the get go, or was it individual battles? Did you think you were going up against three guys? Not really. You know, I mean, you raced against the. It really turns into individual battles, and and um, you know, I, I would say that those guys are all racing for each other and and trying to trying to win a championship. So um, never really looked at it quite that way. We're also joined by Martin Truex Jr., driver of the number 19 Bass Pro Shops Toyota. We'll continue with questions. Please raise your hand. Go back to Jacob. Jacob Zielman, Speed Sport. Uh, Martin, you obviously had the, the little bit fresher tires than Kyle did coming down the stretch. I know traffic wasn't helpful, but uh, did, did you feel like Staying out and trying to use the fresher tires was going to be your way to to get the win in the championship. I didn't know at that point. I just did whatever Cole said. So you know, I, he he does the strategy. I just drive, and uh, obviously it didn't work out. We were you know we were quite a bit quicker at the end, but we just too far back. So so no chance. Go to Jerry in the back. Jerry Jordan kicking the tires on that. Martin for you. Uh, I'll. How tough is this to, to swallow knowing that you had the fastest car throughout the day and a mistake, but you overcame that and then ran right there at second? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it's, uh, it was the loss of track position that, that bit us. You know, we, uh, we restarted uh, the third stage in third and really wish I could have been either second or fourth. I got blitzed on the outside by the 20 and the 22 and a couple of those guys. And then, you know, I had to, had to just run the crap out of my right front to get back by them and I got tight on that run, and it took me forever to 
just get by a few cars. So I lost a, a bunch of ground on that run because of, you know, getting tight um, in traffic and and then just was too far back to make anything happen, you know, the last run. So, um, you know, ultimately it, it's, it's, it came down to track position and, you know, it felt like if I could have been up front and controlled the race, I could have drove away from them. And, you know, at the end I was, we were, we were quite a bit quicker, but it's just, it was too much of a gap. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's part of the deal. You got to be perfect, you know, and uh, one mistake, you know, probably cost us a shot at it. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, I mean, you know, these things don't come around every day. And, uh, you know, second, two years in a row definitely stings a little, but, um, you know, the fact that we have one is still still really a big deal, and it's hard to win these things. So, uh, you know, congrats to Kyle and the 18 guys. And, um, you know, it's a huge accomplishment uh, just to get here, I feel like. And, yes, you, sometimes you win, sometimes you don't. It just wasn't our day. Go to Holly up front. Holly Kane, the NASCAR wire service for Kevin and Martin. Were you at all surprised by the pace of the race tonight? I mean, there were huge gaps in between, and certainly, you know, even between first and second and second and third, and how many cars, you know, were on the lead lap, that kind of thing. Did the pace surprise you at all? I mean, it didn't. My car didn't drive very well, and it didn't look like mine drove. It looked like mine drove a lot better than most of them. So, and there was no, you didn't see very many tire marks against the wall or anything like that. So, I don't know. You know, just no cautions and nothing happening. So, um, just when that happens, you know, you just get spread out. Yeah, I mean, I think the deal is with these cars. I mean, you you start fighting handling problems and having to lift, and you just lose so much time to a guy that can stay in the throttle. So, it's all momentum. It's not surprising that it got spread out as it did. Pretty brutal when uh, when two of the uh, final four drivers uh, call the race uh, in their way boring as well but uh so it goes there's kevin harvick and martin truex following the race last weekend in miami and uh we'll bring you some of kyle bush and denny hamlin later on in the show as well up next you're going to hear from dennis michelson from d mike media we're going to get into uh everything nascar and more you're listening to the final inspection show here on sports radio 105.7 fm the fan Final inspection. Final inspection. Now, Dennis Michelson of D Mike Media is here to give us the inside track on NASCAR and the world of short track racing. Welcome back to the Final Inspection Show here on Sports Radio 105.7 FM. The fan brought to you, like always, by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove. And, of course, our good friends over at David Hobbs Honda. We go right back out to the Great Midwest Bank Hotline and welcome in the president and CEO of D-Mike Media, Mr. Dennis Michelson. Dennis, how are we doing today, buddy? Mr. Orlovsky, I am doing fantastic. Well, good, good. Hopefully you're not uh, confusing yourself counting all your money down there, but... uh, (laughs) You know, got to love it. Got to love it. Uh, I know that there's uh, big events coming up and none bigger than the Racetrack Business Conference taking place in uh, Indianapolis. And that comes up when, Dennis? That'll be on December 11th. It's hosted by Tim Frost from the National Speedway Directory. This will be our eighth year of doing this. 
it's the ultimate networking event in auto racing. If you know you're just getting out of school with a journalism degree, or you you think, hey, I want to get involved in the racing industry, but I don't know anybody, uh, sign up and come down to the racetrack business conference. It is the best educational seminar on racing. We've been doing this eight years, Jeff, and this year I got to say that Tim Frost topped himself uh, with his usual great lineups. The folks from Race Monitor are sponsoring our lunch again this year. There's the timing and scoring app that allows you to look at any racetrack from around the, the world, really, and keep up with the, the timing and scoring uh, at different races. They're hosting our keynote speaker, who is none other than Lynn St. James. Uh, it's going to be fantastic to talk about uh, all things racing and, and, you know, diversity in motorsports and everything with, with uh, Lynn. But we also are featuring a session that is going to be co-hosted or co-moderated, I should say. John Warniak, the vice president of from SEMA, from their vehicle technology division, and we're going to be talking about the autonomous racing challenge down in Indianapolis. This got announced uh, right around the time of SEMA, right before the sale of the track, and it's sort of gotten lost, and nobody's really done much in the way of talking about what this event is going to be all about, but we've got all the heavy hitters. We've got Doug Bowles, the president of Indianapolis Motor Speedway. We've got Stefano De Ponte from Delara, USA. They're going to be providing the chassis for this uh, this event. We have Matt Peake from Energy Systems Network. We've got Rob Pruka from Clemson University. They'll have a team in the event. And Ralph Shaheen uh, will be there as well. Um, you know, So we're going to be talking about how the autonomous challenge where they're going to race indie-style cars up to 200 miles an hour without drivers. I mean, yeah. this, isn't, this isn't radio control. This is all autonomous driving. And what this event is going to do is to prove the efficacy of autonomous driving systems that you're going to see in cars on the roadways here uh, over the years. It, it's going to help move the industry in motorsports and also in in your your daily driver, it's going to increase the efficiency of just getting around town here in the years to come, thanks to an event like the Autonomous Challenge at Indy. It's going to be just uh, fantastic, and we're going to be uh, having a whole hour-long session about it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, and I give you a lot of credit, and I'm not just brown-nosing because you're you're on the station all the time, but... uh... You know, every year does get bigger and better, and I I see it from afar. I've never been there. Uh, You know, I've told you guys many, many times, uh, some people think I'm joking, but, you know, Steve keeps me chained in the studio, won't let me, uh, you know, go out in public. He doesn't let me talk to anybody. Uh, He doesn't let me do anything. That's why he's always in Phoenix and Indianapolis and, uh, down in in St. Louis and all these other places, and uh, and I am always here in in the beautiful studios in Hales Corners, but um, I I do give you a lot of credit. You open a lot of doors for people who want to get into the racing industry. I don't think that you get the credit that you deserve, Dennis, and uh, so I just want to tip my cap to you because I think that uh, 
you're doing a hell of a job and and you guys are giving a lot of, of people young and older uh, a, a chance to to get into into racing earn a living and uh, experience something that they've always wanted to and and enter a field that they've always wanted so I give you a lot of credit for that so kudos and uh, I'm sure this year will be a smashing success like all the rest have been well the credit all goes to Tim Cross from the National Speedway Directory. He puts this together every year, and the networking just happens naturally at events. We've seen companies like Race Monitor go from guys that just had an idea for a timing and scoring app to now they're you know on millions of smartphone devices at, at every racetrack around the, the world now. Um, and, and all because of the ability to bring people together for one day to talk about the problems in motorsports in the various areas. And, and I always say, you know, I, I just get to be the talking head on, on the stage leading the discussions. And I always say we don't answer any questions that really at, at the racetrack business conference. We just let all these smart people in the business know that they have problems that they need to address, whether it's, you know, marketing issues, whether it's security at the track, you know, whatever it is. Um, we try to bring light to different things that are going on, and Tim is always at the cutting edge of, of these folks that are going to be the big movers and shakers in the business in the next three to five years, and he has them up on stage every year. So it, it's just an amazing event to participate in, and uh, we've got just some, some unbelievable guests coming. RacetrackBusinessConference.com is where you can learn more about it and, uh, and find out about different things that are going to be going on in the industry in the years to come. Well, there's a uh, uh, one definite way that uh, me and you completely differ because uh, you are humble and I am not. Uh, if anybody, you know, would give me credit for a, a, a Packers victory, um, I've had people, you know, oh, man, you called it. It's blue skies today. You're damn right. I ordered it up. I'll take the credit for anything. So, uh you know, it, it, it's great that you're humble and just shows, uh, yet again, another example why you're a better person than I am. Uh, Miami Homestead, what was your takeaway of championship weekend, Dennis? I'm basically starting to wake up from watching that race. Oh, I, God. Well, wasn't it awful? Here's the problem that we have. Is, is people had such a bad feeling about this track years ago because when they first built it, way back when, after the hurricane wiped out Olmsted Air Force Base and left this big empty spot out there with nothing to go on it. When they first built this track, it was a lousy track. But the racing was hideous. Then the racing got wonderful to the point where I think it has been, over the last five years or so, the, the best race, some of the best racing we've seen in all three divisions. And NASCAR... You know, I understand what they're doing with the rule package, trying to prepare for 2021 with this next-generation car. And for all the right reasons, they're trying to drop the horsepower. But the way they've done it with this rule package, they ruined intermediate track racing this year. They really did. The big spoilers did not help down there at Miami. What they needed was more horsepower. Open the engines up for this last race of the season. Yeah. Well, you're... You're not, here's the thing is you're not saving anybody money by slapping a tapered spacer on that robs the high.
congratulations to Kyle Busch. He, he got the win, but I think the reason he was so subdued in victory lane is because he knows that they put on a snoozer of a show as well. Well, I know, and then, you know, we have next season where the championship race is going to be in Phoenix. And the second-to-last race of the year in Phoenix was god-awful as well. So, you know, you don't even have a, uh, you know, there's not even the excitement of, oh, I can't wait till next year because, you know, Phoenix, it has produced some exciting finishes lately, but it sure as hell wasn't exciting in uh, <laughs> two weeks ago. That's for sure. No, it was an awful race, and it was all for the same reason. And a yep. very smart man, a much smarter man than me, Dan Gurney, years ago said more downforce and less horsepower is going to make the make racing bad. And he is so right. Less downforce, more horsepower makes for better racing. And unfortunately, NASCAR, and again, I understand why they're doing it. You know, it all makes sense as a transition to this 2021 car. But in the meantime, they're putting on stinkers of shows at intermediate tracks. And, and, and it's it, it getting to be, you know, they ruined Phoenix. They ruined Homestead, Miami. And that, that's doing something because both of those tracks are, are usually barn burner abrasive. Yeah, I hear you. Can, uh, can you hold over through the break and we'll try to find something positive to talk about in the next segment? All right, fantastic. We'll be right back with more Dennis Michelson from D-Mike Media here on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. Final Inspection. Final Inspection. Now, Dennis Michelson of D-Mike Media is here to give us the inside track on NASCAR and the world of short track racing. Welcome back to the Final Inspection Show here on Sports Radio 105.7 FM. The fan, Jeff Orlowski, to Polish Pipe Bomb in for Steve Zaki. This week, we go right back out to the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. And welcome back, uh, Dennis Michelson from D-Mike Media. Dennis, uh, I do want to mention uh, over, the, over the weekend in the finale, Martin Truex and his pit crew... Oh, my God. You put right the set of right tires on the left side and the lefts on the right side in the biggest moment of this season. Can you recall, uh, you know, a team or, or a player that just, you know, crapped the bed like they did in one of the biggest moments of the year? No, but for some reason, it just seems fitting to me that this was just the anniversary of the butt fumble in football. You know, it kind of, <laughs> reminds me of a similar thing. I mean, you know, I guess those guys are going to have to have the, the letters R and L written on the the, uh, the tops of their shoes uh, next year so they, they don't confuse that. And of course, we had Denny Hamlin's crew blowing up his motor, basically, by putting the, the tape on the wrong part of the grill, even though they had marked off the spot it was supposed to go. I mean, it, it was incredible to see two of the four teams choke on pit lane like they did. Yeah, completely mind-blowing. So Jimmy Johnson announces his uh, his retirement after next season. Uh, thoughts on J.J.? Thoughts on who could be a possible replacement in the 48? Yeah, uh, Jimmy Johnson, you know, one of the, the most misunderstood champions of all time. He's so vanilla on TV. 
but this is a funny guy when you talk to him in, in person. But he's a victim of this day and age where you get punished for saying anything interesting. So he kept his sponsorship, uh, you know, and his team happy by being boring on TV. He's one of the funniest guys when you talk to him one-on-one on pit lane. But as soon as the microphone's running, it's all vanilla. Now, you guys were talking about who's going to replace him, and the Kyle Larson thing makes perfect sense because the expiration of the contract, everything like that. But Kyle Larson is so loyal, and Chip Ganassi was the only one willing to spend his own money on the guy, you know, to put him in a cup ride. And and that has kept him loyal to Chip Ganassi, even though the team is, is not that good. As long as Chip Ganassi's in NASCAR, man, I just don't see this happening unless Chip says, hey, for the good of your career, you got to go to Hendrick Motorsport. I mean, unless we see that, I don't know if we're going to we're gonna see him, you know, turn tail and run on the only guy who, who is willing to put one of the greatest drivers of this generation in a car without asking him for money. You know, that's that's just a state of where we are in racing nowadays that that we are even in that situation with a guy with such immense talent like Kyle Larson. Yeah, that's a great point. And man, I hope you're wrong because you know, from I think that with the talent that Kyle Larson has, sky's the limit for him. I think he is nothing but great for NASCAR in general. Him, Bubba Wallace, there are guys that could be the absolute faces of NASCAR going forward that are stuck with these crap teams that are not going to be able to be competitive on a week out, week out, uh, you know, week in, week out basis in subpar equipment. Yeah, and I, I really do think we're going to see a blockbuster move here. I'm not sure who the driver is going to be, but I think this is going to be a big move, sort of like that monumental move, like when we saw, you know, Dale Earnhardt Jr switch teams that come over to Hendrick, there is going to be a big name stud that gets in that that ride. And I'm not so sure we really have a good read on who that's going to be yet, but it's going to be the, the domino, the major domino of the uh, 2020 silly season time. And our friends at jski.com will keep you updated, of course. Oh, yeah, I'm sure they will. I, uh, you know, it that is obviously going to be the main storyline going forward. But uh, like I told Steve, it's not like Hendrick is in the same place that they were when they were dominating the world for the last handful of years, too. So this might be the wake-up call that Rick Hendrick and that entire uh, uh, team and organization needs to, to kick it in gear and figure out why they have missed so much with this new setup. And remember, Kyle Larson and Chip Ganassi, they run the same engine program that Hendrick runs. So, you know, they, they switched over to Hendrick engines a few years ago. And, you know, are they better? Yeah, but they're not elite. And, you know, neither is Hendrick anymore. It's JGR, and it's, you know, Penske, and it's Stuart Haas. Those are your three big hitters in, in the business right now. Yeah, I know. It's, it's amazing how... Um... You know, when I was growing up and uh, really starting to pay attention, you know, Jack Roush was the the biggest team. And now they're a complete also-ran. And uh, 
and then it was Hendrick. They were top of the mountain. Now they're an also ran. You know, uh, it uh, it's amazing the uh, the peaks and valleys that uh, that these teams and organizations go through. When we were more into innovation, it was all about Hendrick versus Roush, with a little RCR thrown in. You know, way back when, when innovation was was what it was all about. As we've gone to more of a spec car, it's the teams that can leverage, you know, things and, and get the most out of the same equipment. And, and that has been in recent years the battle of JGR versus Penske versus Stuart Haas. And I really don't see that changing much for next year. I know, you know, Hendrick had some success with Chase Elliott and even Alex Bowman this year, but not to the extent that they used to. They used to be the dominant force in, in NASCAR's Cup division. They aren't anymore. Yeah, I hear you. We only got about 30 seconds. Uh, Dennis, we still have a couple more shows to go, so we'll definitely have you on before uh, we close up shop for the season. But what's the latest over at D-Mike Media? Uh, we have a lot of previews of the Racetrack Business Conference interviews this week with Lynn St. James and John Warniak. Yeah, Lynn St. James is great, so... That uh, that's phenomenal. Uh, remind us again about the racetrack business conference coming up December 11th, and it includes uh, credentials to the trade only performance racing industry trade show. So if you're an outsider in the uh, auto racing world and want to be an insider, best way is to come to racetrackbusinessconference.com and sign up for tickets for the show. And you'll get a great education, but you'll get great networking as well. Dennis, oh, thank you so much. Appreciate the time, and we'll talk to you next week, buddy. As always, Jeff, be good. Yep, you too. That was Dennis Michelson on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline looking to buy, build, renovate, or refinance in 2019. Look no further. Call Great Midwest Bank today. Great Midwest Bank providing simply local, common sense lending to your community since 1935. Quick break here, and then we'll get in touch with Eddie Lapine from RacingNation.com. You're listening to the Final Inspection Show here on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. Milwaukee, start your engines. It's time to talk about all things racing. NASCAR, IndyCar, sports cars, and Formula One. This is the Final Inspection Show, presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragaway in Union Grove. Now, here's your host, Steve Saki. Welcome back. Hour two of the final inspection show here on Sports Radio 105.7 FM. The fan, Jeff Orlowski, the Polish pipe bomb, filling in for Steve Zaki. He's on a quote-unquote workcation in Arizona. So, uh, you know, I don't know how much work he's getting done. I, I would imagine he's sitting by a next to the pool in a banana hammock drinking a, a pina colada, but... Uh, at least that's what I would be doing if I was down there. Let's get right back out to the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. Welcome in Mr. Eddie Lapine from RacingNation.com. Eddie, how are we doing today? Good, Jeff. Uh, 
uh, I was picturing Steve wearing a Speedo. What do you think? Uh, are you trying to make me ill? <laughs> no, I was just trying to hold that thought for you. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. That, uh, well, that, uh, day one of my diet right now. So, uh, thank you for that, Eddie. Uh, I'll send you the bill when I can't fit into any of my clothes anymore. Uh, you know, we I talked about NASCAR a lot in the first hour. Lots of racing still going on. Uh, Mr. Max Verstappen, he got a little drenched in champagne. Well, I mean, hey, it was a hell of a, it was one of the best races in a long time, uh, in Formula One and, and Max and the whole Red Bull team just did a fantastic job. Uh, I mean, sub two-second pit stops, uh, great pit strategy. I mean, Mercedes backed it with like a three-second pit stop for Hamilton, and they had tire issues. But, you know, I, Max and uh, Honda are making strides towards the front, and they really uh, frustrated Ferrari and Mercedes, definitely. Yeah, they definitely did, and uh... – you know, a huge win for Verstappen. He, you know, he's one of those guys, and you know me. I, I'm not a uh, an F1 uh, fan per se. I, I find it uh, ungodly boring. But um, he is one of those guys that is very easy to root for. Oh, definitely, and as you could just see, he's more lax doing uh, interviews on the grid. Um, and he's, he's focused on winning, and, and Red Bull, as a team, it doesn't get any better than that. And I think... Yeah, he's, he's made some, some big strides. Now, there was a mess with, uh, with Ferrari and, uh, and a collision between uh, a couple of their drivers over the weekend, Eddie. Well, uh, yeah, and... I should have looked at the tape because uh, watching the interview after the race, um, he was kind of putting a blame. Uh-oh. Sebastian needs to uh, definitely take a look at what what he's doing in the car to help the team to move forward. So you put you put the blame on Sebastian? Well, he moved over. When you watch the, the video, the replay, I mean, he moved over on and that little contact uh, toward Charles' car, the front suspension, and then his tire blew out, and both were out. And Ferrari keeps making these, you know, mistakes with pit strategy, and it's putting them neck, neck on the track. And that's what you're seeing. You're seeing a four-time world champion come against a young, hungry lion that wants to win races. Yeah. So, and that's, that's what the end result is. I mean, you know, we've seen it. We saw it at Red Bull with Max Verstappen and, and uh, Daniel Ricciardo. I mean, it happens when drivers are 100 percent qualifying that close to each other, you're going to have incentives. So I think they both need to look at each other and – you know, put this behind them and move forward. All right. Speaking of Ferrari, did you get a chance to see that Ford versus Ferrari movie yet? 
seen it yet, and I I'm getting all these all rave reviews from everyone on how great it is. Yeah, it and, uh, it was a good movie. I went and saw it this week, and yes, I know that it you know it's kind of been a little uh, bastardized by Hollywood, and and the facts aren't all correct, and you know they definitely took some liberties and stuff, but. As far as an entertaining, it's a little on the long side, two and a half hours, but uh, it, it was a good movie. It was a good movie. I recommend it, Eddie. Well, yeah, well, the problem, you know. Your phone's kind of breaking up here, buddy. You know, they have to spice it up. It's Hollywood. They got to they gotta make it for the regular viewers. And... and all right, we're having some pro- uh, phone problems with Eddie Lapine, but uh, he joined me on a Great Midwest Bank hotline. It was his phone's fault, not Great Midwest Bank's fault here. Looking to buy, build, and renovate or refinance in 2019. Look no further. Call Great Midwest Bank today. Great Midwest Bank providing simply local common sense lending to your community since 1935. Uh, you know, it stinks that uh, that we had phone problems with Eddie but uh, it does give us a chance to listen to a little bit of Denny Hamlin after the race from Miami Homestead. So here is Denny Hamlin after Miami. Thank you. Um, Al Pearson, Model Week. Denny, this was your fourth time here in a position to be the champion. You came in very confident, very self-assured. Is this the toughest of the four defeats? Because you came in so really ready. Um, I don't know. Um, it's tough to say. I, I feel like I did all I could, uh, so probably not. I mean, I, I don't think I could have done a better job. I don't think I, you know, could have. I, I didn't leave anything out there. Uh, so, you know, for the first half of the race, we just weren't fast enough. We weren't handling very good, and all of a sudden it went nighttime, and we took off, and suddenly I perked up and got a little more and was thinking that uh we got a chance and then uh just uh didn't work out i mean you know i definitely like i said you know last week that uh, i was going to come in here and do the best i could and live with the result either way i mean either way and so you know i definitely feel like uh you know i couldn't have done anything different uh certainly you know we got a little aggressive there and and it cost us but uh i mean He's also been really aggressive and won us races too. So uh, it's just uh, he's going for it. Um, he saw an opportunity there to really uh, add some speed to the car, and uh, it just didn't work out. Thank you. Come over here. To, is it Jacob? Yep. Jacob Seelman, Speed Sport. Denny, knowing that. Uh, you, know, you guys have have been aggressive and obviously were tonight. Is it a case where? You would rather take the chance, be aggressive, and miss out like this than not have taken the chance and run second or third, maybe? No. Uh, we don't know. I mean, you always like to live to, to race another lap. Um, obviously, when you, if you have to come back down pit road, it's, it's pretty much over. But uh, even, you know, I, I think we had nailed you – know, with the other two guys running long on their strategy, we were going to be second no matter what. Um, and just a stone's throw from the 18, 
And then, um, so a caution can come out. We got the number one pit stall. We can beat them off pit lane. You can definitely have, uh, there's always an opportunity uh, until the checker falls, anything can happen. So I don't think it's a do or die moment, but I think it was an opportunity uh, that, that Chris saw to, um, you know, we, we came one lap earlier. We wanted to catch everyone off guard there. We did it. I didn't get to pit road clean because 34 kind of was coming off pit road and I had to check up and but whatnot. It didn't matter because we added too much tape anyway. But, uh, you know, he just he was going for it. And, and I don't I don't fault him for that because, you know, I've got really fast cars because he goes for it every single week. We're going to go to Nate and then Jim. Hey, Ryan, NBC Sports. Uh, Denny, in 2014, when MJ was here, he was one of the first people to greet you. Uh, do you expect Michael Jordan will have some things to say to you later? Is he, is he hanging out with you, or are you still going to have a birthday celebration and all that? Yeah, I mean, I, I told you all at the beginning of the week, we're going to celebrate our year. I mean, our year is, was fantastic in every way you can think of, and uh, it just didn't, didn't pan out in one race <laughs> in our favor. So... Uh, you know, I don't know uh, about those guys, and I talked to them briefly before the race, but um, I don't know. I just, uh, right now, just got to gather all the thoughts and think about everything. Go to Jim. Jim Utter, motorsport.com. Kind of along those lines, I know you want to be the one celebrating, but for as an organization, considering everything that happened in the off season, the passing of JD, you started the season winning the 500, you guys end the year as an organization winning the championship. Uh, I mean, could, could you have a better kind of statement as an organization for what you've all had to, to go through? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, the 20 finished third, so dang. Um, yeah, I mean, it was just good. It was it was a great year. We won 19 races as an organization. That's, that's the most in, in this era, so... I mean, that's a, that's a good thing in the in the in the world where we just keep getting more common with everything, right? It, common pick guns, common this, common that. The AGR continues to set itself apart, and that's the people uh, and the effort that they're putting in. So, I think that uh, it really says a lot about the organization, no doubt. So, we're uh, I'm excited about next year. I, I really am. It's not like a, you know, going to go through the off season, you know, upset or sad. It's like I'm looking forward to having the momentum that we took through this year with a first year crew chief and uh, we're going to we're going to win a lot like a lot next year so um, i just think that uh, we'll have we'll have another opportunity there's there's no question Denny, on your right uh, jeffrey miller athlon sports kind of hit on the question i was going to go for there but just your outlook going to next year off the heels of this compared to other times when you've come so close does it feel different and uh, yeah, I mean, they all feel different. They are all different. They're, they're in a different time. They're in a different circumstances. Uh, they are all so different. Uh, but certainly, uh, you know, I've, I've had my fair share of, of being responsible for not winning uh, at times. But, uh, you know, I, I was confident. I did everything that I possibly could. You know, I, I kept us in the game when we were not very good at the beginning of the race. We stayed in it, stayed in it. Got a good restart, took the lead, and then just kind of hung with Kyle there. And I made a little mistake. I should have uh, on that restart and, and gave the lead back to him. But, I, you know, they're all different. I don't know how it's going to be. I mean, you know, it's 
I just am really excited with the group that we have that you know what we can do next year and you know get another shot at it. I mean, it's it's definitely not a do or die situation. You know, it's it's going to be okay and we're going to be strong. And I guarantee you, it's going to motivate Chris even more than what he than what he already is. Now that was Denny Hamlin after the race last weekend at Miami Homestead. We'll be right back. We're going to hear from Steve Zaki coming up next here on the final inspection show brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove. And of course, our good friends over at David Hobbs Honda. Keep it locked in. You're listening to 105.7 FM, The Fan. Welcome back to the final inspection show here on Sports Radio 1057 FM, the fan, the only station you gearheads need. Uh, Jeff Orlowski, the Polish pipe bomb, filling in uh, this week for the legend, Mr. Steve Zaki. Uh, he is joining me now again on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. Steve, uh, the rumor is. That you're sitting in a banana hammock by the pool drinking a uh, a pina colada. Can you confirm or deny? I'm gonna deny it. Oh, you're gonna okay. No pina colada, huh? What 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 are you, you mean, sipping you mean on? Wearing a banana. Wearing a banana hammock. Right? Well, I said banana hammock. Uh, Dennis Michelson thought uh, speedo, but uh, you know, either way, either way, I uh, hope you're having a good time down there. IndyCar, the silly season, makes an unexpected return. What uh, What's the latest news on uh, silly season part two in IndyCar? Yeah, well, yeah, the, the, the big surprise was uh, Sebastian Bourdais out at Coin Racing, who had a year left on his contract, but unfortunately it looks like they're going to get him some money issues, and uh, they actually uh, – it looks like they, well, they must have bought them out. And uh, they said they're not, quote-unquote, honoring the final year of his contract. So that made him a free agent at a very bad time, which is you know late in the, late in the deal here to try and get another ride. And let's face it, there's, there's a couple rides open, but Bourdais not just going to grab a, a seat just to get a seat at this point. So uh, he's actually heading over the, to uh, the IMSA side, and it's going to be running uh, – uh, for JDC uh, Miller Motorsports, so he'll be running with uh, Joe Barbosa next year in the uh, Cadillac uh, prototype. Yeah, kind of troubling because a lot of the reports that I read is that yes, there are a, a couple IndyCar seats open, but that each one is requiring the driver to show up with a hefty paycheck, you know, a hefty amount of cash right. to. Uh, to fill that seat, and it's the same old story that we've been hearing for years now, and part of the reason why racing isn't as exciting as it used to be because instead of talent, it's money that gets you these rides. Right, and at this point, you know, with the, the rides that are open at Foyt and Carlin, you know, Foyt's in a situation where uh, they lost their sponsor. They only have a sponsor next year for Indianapolis for the month of May. 
uh, they still want to run a two-car team, and you know they have the means to do it, but they don't want to fund the the, the, the entire season themselves. So uh, they're looking for uh, drivers with funds to help supplement that. And then uh, Carlin Racing is, uh, you know, they 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 want somebody that can bring some money too. And what they'll probably Carlin might be end up doing is, you know, have three or four drivers because that's kind of like the name of the game. We see that pretty much in all forms of racing where, you know, guys can get sponsorship together, but not maybe not necessarily enough money to, to do a full season. So, you know, your driver A, well, you can do three or four races. Driver B can do a couple races and you put together a package. And you see that with NASCAR, with particular teams doing that with sponsorships. So the, the team is going after the sponsorship. So, you know, driver X can... Have you know, or you see that like uh, case in point, uh, uh, Chase Elliott. You know they're gonna have Hooters on there. They're gonna have uh, so, you know some other sponsors on there. Hooters is on. They signed up for next year for three races. You know they have Mountain Dew on there for a few races. And, you know so they kind of spread it about. You know the days of uh, Richard Petty running the STP car for the whole year and Jeff Gordon running the same car for the whole year at Dupont and Earnhardt with uh, Good Ranch. Those days are gone. Yeah, and it's unfortunate because even the huge, huge companies like, uh, you know, let's say Budweiser or Miller, for instance, you know, those aren't even full-year sponsorships either. No, they're doing majority of the years, but they're also, uh, you know, very cognizant of where where to spend their money. And a lot of other – there's so many other – venues that they can sponsor and venues you know they're always looking at demographics too and right now with with nascar especially in some other ones you know the demographics aren't aren't that great so they mean you know they're looking at other whether it's extreme sports or whatever you know they want to get in front of the younger people yeah and when you get into you know especially with like the extreme sports and stuff the the amount of the check is a lot less than what it is in a big money sport uh, for sponsorship like in NASCAR. You have to show up with a ton of money for NASCAR and for some of those lesser sports you do not. But uh, if you want to talk about demographic, you know, that's why I'm shocked, you know, um, with the declining sponsorship from the beer companies. But then, you know, you remember when uh, Clint Boyer was sponsored by Jack Daniels and and mm-hmm. stuff like that. You know, you want to talk about uh, some some good drinkers, go to a NASCAR race or any kind of auto race in general. And, uh, you know, it's basically like cheers. Welcome home, because uh, everybody's out there sipping on something. Well, when what, what you get is. You know, people complain about you know foreign drivers or or drivers from overseas bring coming over bringing money. And what happens is, if you're a young driver in a smaller country, case in point, uh, Rena ZK, who uh, who comes from Holland, you know he's a Dutch driver who's got Jumbo sponsorship sponsorship from Jumbo, which is a huge uh, grocery chain in Europe. So they're backing Rena since they're backing him throughout his career. And now, there, now he's able, he, you know, he won the championship last year in the Indy Lights. He's going to be running with Ed Carpenter Racing next year. And the the main reason why is he brings funding with him from Jumbo. So, you know, Ed Carpenter Racing, you know, they, they feel, you know, do they really need a funded driver 
well, they could probably get away with it, but if you want to step up and, and get to that next level, maybe having a funded driver and talented. I mean, the kid is talented. Unfortunately, he's not going to really move. Is how much is he going to move the fans? needs to be seen. But this is a talented kid who, who, who's been fast in every series he's raced with. He brings some money, so maybe that's money that can be reinvested into the, the team. Yeah, yeah, that's... Uh... Unfortunately, that's where we're at, but um, it's also been a sad week in the uh, world of IndyCar, Steve. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, last I don't know if I mentioned this uh, the previous week, but uh, Louis Meyer Jr., known as Sonny Meyer, one of the premier engine builders in IndyCar racing, for, for many, many, many years passed away. And Sonny, Sonny was one of these guys, he was son of uh, three-time Indy 500 winner Louis Meyer, and started in the sport in 1950, 49 or 50 as a teenager, uh, working for um, uh, his dad and Dale Drake at Drake Engineering, who had taken over the Offenhauser program uh, on the IndyCar series and uh, working out of California, and then later worked for many teams, uh, especially Patrick Racing with George, George McNaughty, and he was an engine builder who worked and a, and a crew chief too for for many many years and you know comes from you know like i said the, the 50s into the 60s and into the 70s with patrick racing and and then kind of quit traveling but was still working uh building engines and and, and also uh ending up with menard racing in the 90s and early 2000s he was still uh, building those buick uh uh, V6s in the for the Indy 500 and that and the IRL uh, early on in the IRL. So uh, Sonny unfortunately uh, passed away uh, last week, and then uh, just a couple of days ago, John Martin passed away at age 80. Uh, Milwaukee and Wisconsin fans uh, may remember him. Uh, he raced Indy cars from roughly about 1971 through 1980. Uh, was an independent uh, driver and pretty much ran his own team for many years. He also did drive for Grant King, but uh, uh, drove a, a Brabham uh, when he came to Indy uh, the first time in 71 and made the race in 72 and actually made the race uh, five times in a row through 76 and later with Grant King. And just a very, very well-respected uh, driver who, uh, roots go back all the way to Kenosha, Wisconsin, uh, and uh, uh, SCCA racing, uh, racing. He was a national champion in a, in a driving a Corvette, and then got into Trans Am racing. And uh, with uh, Ronnie Kaplan, uh, ran the uh, uh, worked with the AMC uh, program in Trans Am racing, and uh, raced with uh, guys with the likes of Peter Revson. And when the Trans Am series was added, pretty much it zenith in the late 60s also drove usac stock cars too and uh drove a, a few races at milwaukee in uh in stock cars and then uh he um uh, you know migrated and his, his, he always told me his his goal was to race at indianapolis which he was able to do but stayed active in the sport and uh was a team manager and mechanic and worked with dick simon too and uh some uh some may remember uh, we had Lynn St. James on, I think it was a year or two ago, and she had a big accident on, I think it was pole day at Indianapolis, 
uh, several years ago, about 10, 12 years ago. Uh, and, and she was a, a bit spooked. You know, she had raced at Indianapolis uh, many, many times, respected driver, but she had an accident, and it was one of the situations she really didn't know why. And John Martin really helped her under, you know, make her understand why, help rebuild the car, help her regain her confidence, and she was able to make the race uh, the following weekend. And, and she just was like, you know, it wasn't for John Martin. I'm not sure if I would have made the race. She was really appreciative of how he was able and understood, you know, uh, how uh, how that, you know, he understood what the driver was going through. So very, very well-respected uh, person in the garage here. Unfortunately, his son was following in the uh, um, uh, in the business, but uh, lost his life in a tragic uh, uh, riptide uh, situation down um, on vacation about 10, 15 years ago. Uh, but, yeah, John Martin, just very, very respected guy and raced in the SVRA uh, program series from the uh, beginning in 2014 and just a neat guy. And it, 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 you know, he's 80 years old, but he's one of these guys. When you look at him, you're like, man, if I'm 80 years old and I look as good as him, you know, cause he, he, he was a guy who was not afraid of putting in 12 hour days at his age and was in, was in good shape, you know? And that, that's, I think that's the most shocking thing about it is, is there's not too many guys his age that were so vibrant and full of energy, you know, and it was no big deal for him to just drive from, uh, like this earlier this year, he was at Milwaukee driving up from Indianapolis, you know, nonstop to Milwaukee, you know, in his four tourist wagon and, and, you know, he's, he's ready to go and working on cars and helping people out and drove a, a Penske PC seven on the track, you know, during the, uh, uh, during the, the event that we had at, at Milwaukee this year, so you know it, it's just it, it's just a shame we lost we lost John Martin. But you know the guy, you know I you know some ways, you know he, I guess he, you know he went out on his terms. I guess you could say, you know you know some guys don't they all say you know if I want to go I want to go in my sleep. I don't want to wither away in the hospital. But he did not do that. So he was active to the you know last day of his life. Yeah, sad couple weeks uh, for for the racing community and condolences and and best wishes from all of us here at uh, the final inspection show to uh, each of those guys' families. Now, you know the big the big news obviously in in IndyCar this off season was Roger Penske uh, purchasing not only the series but also Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Uh, I know that you put your thinking cap on, Steve. And you have some suggestions for Roger Penske. What well, <laughs> what might those be? Well, I think we all had it, and it, it's kind of interesting. You know, you, you're you know, when this happened, you know, you're kind of going through it and thinking about it, and well, what what could be done. And then I saw Robin Miller's article, and he had a top ten list, and I, it's kind of funny. I was talking with some people, and we were all like, "Yeah, this is pretty much what." We, we, I think I think there's pretty much a consensus throughout the IndyCar community, you know, with the people that work in the media and that, and maybe on the inside that are kind of in, in agreement with this. And the number one is the purse. Um, you know, that purse needs to be raised, risen. I mean, you talked about the first hour with, you know, where the purse is in uh, NASCAR with the truck series, the Xfinity series. 
you know, you look at races like the Daytona 500 and the Cup Series, you know, it's still a, a decent, you know, there's still, there's still decent winning for these teams in the final with the points and that. It, it's maybe a little it, obviously it's upside down. You're not going to make money on it, but it's still an impressive amount of money for the other two series, not so much. But IndyCar, it's even worse. And he he brings about how the pay, you know the the purse has been roughly the same for the for the decade, and uh, he he goes he mentions about you know nearly about a third of the field gets about two hundred thousand dollars for making the race for the Indianapolis five hundred, but you have to remember that your tire bill for that is going to be roughly about seventy five thousand. Right, and that's just for the tires. That's and, and and you know that doesn't include well you got to feed the guys. I mean that that that's going to be probably ten thousand there to feed the guys for you know a week two weeks you know whatever it is you know not only supper but sometimes breakfast and you know there's you got where are they going to stay there's hotel bills there's all sorts of stuff and that's not even counting the car you know you got to deal with the car you have to deal with all the stuff and, and then if you have an accident you know you're going to almost you know add a, a third to that if not double it so. And then this is one, it's kind of interesting, and give a little bit of history on it, and that's bringing back the apron. And he shows a photo of the famous shot of Rick Mears passing Michael Andretti in 1991 on the outside, a uh, spectacular pass that he did to win the race. And after that, after, I think it was 92, uh, what they did is they took away the apron. And what was happening, the reason why they did it, they did it, they said it was for safety. And what happened? What was happening with with the apron being so wide? When a car would spin, because of the length to the wall, a lot of the cars were hitting head on. They were getting a lot of vicious leg injuries. So they were saying, well, if we shorten that up, the car can cannot, you know, it doesn't. It's not going to hit head on, and it did cut down on injuries. But now there's a kind of been a movement lately to let's widen the track, and that may also help the Brickyard 400 too. So that's an interesting concept there, too. And then uh, he talks about, and this is something, Jack, <laughs> this was, uh, this this I did not think of, but it's been, it, it, I know about, I've heard people talk about this. I'll just read it here. He says, if the track cannot be widened, then at least put up a safety fence on the pit wall like MotoGP had here during its run, then fortify the fence behind the pits. India's dodged bullets for decades with the ever-present possibility of one car running over another wheel being launched into the pits or into the tower terrace. And when, after the, the awful 1973 race, they did a lot of changes, lengthening the pit road, changing that apron off of turn four. They, they, they made what was then a modern uh, flag stand on the outside of the track instead of at, at the track level. And there was other changes made in response to the race in 1973. And I remember uh, the 74 race, if you watch it on YouTube, uh, Jackie Stewart, who's always been a safety advocate, talks about that. Fantastic, great, glad they did this. But even back then he was talking about, you know, maybe there should be a fence on the inside of the track. So, you know, and you see that more. I mean, you look at baseball games with the netting and hockey games and whatnot, and it's, that, that that might be something that we, I think we might see in the future, especially if uh, you know it's, uh, insurance people start poking around there, which I'm sure they're going to be doing with the ownership change. 
overall, all the restrooms and pave all the roads in the parking lot, bring them up to Penske standards, which, uh, you know, is there anybody that's against better restrooms? <laughs> no. And then this one I like uh, from a personal level. Let the mechanics uh, park inside the track close to the garage area instead of outside turns three and four. And move the media back inside as well. Put glamping in the coat lot. We've been getting moved farther and farther away. The media has been. <laughs> and the reason, you know, what, what what's bad, you know, if you're a new person and you've been just, getting credentialed at, at Indy for the last five years, you don't care. But you get spoiled because we used to be able to park right uh, what was then Lot N, which was only, you know, a five-minute walk. Now, you know, now granted, race day, you're not going to want to park, you know, I, I was parked by my buddy's house on Auburn because you want to get away from that one block. You want to put a pretty much a block ring around you after the race because otherwise you're not going to get out for days. But uh, it, it, it's, this is a, it's kind of a no-brainer. It, it's, a, it's a selfish one for me. That's, but the, uh, this is an interesting one. Widen the areas on Georgetown Road behind the main grandstand. You know, the fact, this is a typical Robin line, the fact that nobody has ever been trampled to death before or after a race is a miracle. It does get very tight. And I, I just remember the first time I went to the track, I was I was like, there's like behind those stands, there's like a street right there, and uh, that's one of the reasons why they put in a roundabout was for security, because I guess after 9/11 and that when when uh, uh, the security people would come in from the government, they were all shocked because I guess Indianapolis is the only. A major venue in the United States that has a road so close to the facility where the people sit. I mean, like, boom, right there. I mean, you look at the Milwaukee Mile, even. The closest street is Greenfield Avenue, and that would be, like, what, a block away or so? Yeah. But, you know, basically, Grandstand Avenue at State Fair uh, in Milwaukee, that's basically where Georgetown Road is. So they've since have closed that off. It's a dead end, so there's not much traffic there. And he's he's saying that maybe, you know, have the speedway, uh, let the speedway, or let the 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 speed the speedway corporation annex that part of speedway, the street, and then move the street maybe back a little bit. There was some talk about that, and of course, there's there's people that live there too. They would lose part of their there's you know that's all as a cluster, but. Uh, don't charge the fans to park for practice or qualifying. Just be glad to show up. I totally agree with that. But this is oh, this is one. Now, there's been some confusion here, too, on this one. Tear down the museum and build something worthy of the most famous racetrack in the world and take all those cars that are hidden in the basement and show them off. Why else would you have them? Uh, when Penske purchased the Speedway, the museum was part of the purchase. The building not the contents. The contents are separate. All the race cars and street cars and old Corvettes and Ferraris, that is not part of the purchase. That is part of the museum foundation. So, But the building itself is owned by the Speedway. And that was built in 1976. And so it's, it's you know, it's getting up there. It's 40-some years old. And they've been talking about it. Uh, they've been able to move out some offices and expand the area, but it is dated. It is small, especially for. But here's the thing: 
museums are just money pits. So if Penske wants to invest in it and do something, and maybe put a restaurant in there too or something, you know, if it, if it's if it's financially viable, I'm sure Penske is going to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the last one, I know we're running late on time here. Uh, the last one, uh, keep the dirt track that's in turn three, but run the BC39. That's that uh, midget race they run in May, the week the week of the race when it's got an open wheel audience. Then give the ri- the winner a ride in the Freedom uh, 100 after a day of testing. I totally agree. They could run that thing. I mean, it's frustrating for me because I'm not I'm not able to go down there go down there because they run it on the Thursday of Brickyard weekend and for me to take you know I get a lot of vacation days with that <laughs> I can't get down there for that and take all those vacation days so yeah it'd be nice to see see them move that to uh May, the month of May and, and that thing would just be huge so yeah lots of great ideas uh from Robin Miller that that was one heck of an article and you can find that on the final inspection Facebook page as well, just search for uh, TFI, the final inspection show, and uh, and you will find it. Yeah, that's good stuff, Steve. We got a big football game, Sunday night football, Packers at the 49ers, 8-2 and two against 9-1. and one. Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask for your prediction. Yeah, you know, and I did, uh, I, I abstained uh, last, last week because of my abysmal showing with the Chargers. I did do one with the station only because I have that premonition, and I hope I'm wrong, but I had the Packers losing 17-7. to 7. I had a dream, and I, it wasn't good. So hopefully I am wrong. Um, but, you know, it, 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 it's going to come down to two things. Packers keep it close. We have Aaron Rodgers. The number one problem I think the Packers are going to have to deal with is the pack uh, the 49ers in their strong running game. If they can shore up that middle, control the running game, make Garoppolo throw, which they were able to do early in the year. You know, once they can, if they can do that, then they can have success. But if they can't stop the run, 49ers like to run. Garoppolo, you know, you put pressure on them, you can you can push them into mistakes. If they're not able to do that, then they could be in trouble. Okay, I'm going the opposite. I say 27-14 Packers. Steve, thank you. Right. Yeah, me too. Thank you. Well, there's so, there's so, a good chance they could, they could, you know, they, they could face them again in the playoffs. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. That's why Aaron Rodgers said we got. Oh, I want to. We got two more shows. Let the audience, uh, uh, just so the audience knows, we got two more shows. We'll be on next week, and then the seventh, we're uh, hoping to do uh, dedicate a show. Uh, most it's going to be mostly on the the movie. It's kind of taken off. It's been a bit of a blockbuster. And that's the Ford versus Ferrari uh, movie. So based on the '66 uh, uh, 24 Hours of Le Mans starring Christian Bale and uh, Matt Damon. So I like. To, I'm hoping they have some people maybe in studio and on the phone, kind of get their reviews on it and kind of talk about it. I think it's going to be kind of a cool show. Yep, good stuff. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate the time. Thank you, Jeff. Enjoy the weather up there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, thanks for rubbing that in. That's Steve Zaki. joined us live on his workcation from Phoenix, Arizona. He joined me on a great Midwest Bank hotline looking to buy, build, renovate, or refinance 2019. Look no further. Call Great Midwest Bank today. Great Midwest Bank, providing simply local common sense lending to your community since 1935. Way late for a break here. 
We'll get that done, uh, taken care of. Now, we'll come back. We'll hear from Kyle Busch and, uh, and his whole team after he wins the championship at Miami last week. You're listening to the Final Inspection Show here on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. This is Final Inspection with Steve Zockey. Presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragaway in Union Grove. On 105.7 FM, The Fan. Welcome back. Final Inspection Show here on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. Uh, Like Steve said in the last segment, we have two more shows for you coming up in the next two weeks. Obviously, both uh, on Saturdays, noon to 2, our normal spot here but uh, two more final inspection shows this season before we take the short uh, two-month, two-and-a-half-month break uh, before we get revved up back up again for Daytona. But, uh, yeah, still two more to go, and we hope you guys uh, tune in for those. Thank you, like always, for listening each and every week to us. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you, so our hat's off to you guys. Uh, we're going to close out the show today listening to Kyle Bush, uh, Joe Gibbs, Bush's crew chief, everybody pretty much associated uh, with the championship team of Kyle Bush. They win the NASCAR Cup championship from Miami. Here's Kyle after the race on Sunday. Holly Kane with the NASCAR Wire Service. Congratulations, Adam. I heard you say on TV that you felt some good juju this week. Could you just talk a little bit more about that? I mean, you felt felt good. Yeah, I did. You know, it, it, it felt a lot like 2015 to me, um, aside from the broken legs, obviously. But, uh, uh, you know, in 2015, Kyle came back. We got off to a pretty hot start, won a few races. We won Indy, and then we didn't win again until we got to Homestead. Um, but we weren't running poorly. We, you know, we were um, competitive. We were leading laps. We were toward the front. And it takes a lot of things to go your way to win a race. Um, and one of those things that has to go your way is you can't make any mistakes. And, um, you know, this year <clears throat> it was kind of similar. We won some races early. We had a tied a record for a top 10 streak or something, I'm told, early in the, early in the year. And and had a couple races get away from us. Um, but it wasn't because we weren't fast. It wasn't because we weren't prepared. They just didn't go our way. Um, and there were some things that we could have done better and some circumstances that happened, you know, just the way that racing is. So it, it felt a little bit like that. We had to claw our way through um, the rounds. And, you know, we got in by virtue of points, which we've done um, three out of the five times we've made it. And, uh, you know, it's about showing up and being your best when it matters the most. And tonight it mattered the most. We'll go to Jerry, Jim, and then Nate. <clears throat> or Dustin, sorry. Jerry Jordan, Jerry Jordan, King of the Tires.net. What's, what is it again? I mean, you guys, you know, coming in here, not, every, not, not a lot of people were picking you guys to, to win this. Obviously, the sentimental favorite was, was Denny. And then uh, uh, Truex was on, you know, seemed to be kind of the, the overall here, but you pulled it off. You persevered. You won the, you know, led the most laps in the race. You and Kyle seem to, even when there's issues on the track, come through. What is it about the, the that chemistry there? Um, you know, it, it's it's uh, it's part of the sport. You know, you have to be able to rely on each other and lean on each other, and and through the good times and the bad times, we're able to do that. And 
Um, you know, these races are, are, are hard to win. Uh, there's not a, one of them that I've won that's been easy. And um, <clears throat> it, it takes the hard work and dedication of all 550 JGR employees, you know. We don't employ all those people because they're not doing something that needs to be done. It, it takes every single one of them to come out here and win these races. And I think you've seen that with uh, 19 wins that JGR had this year that uh, um, were competitive. And, and through the dry spell that we had, we were competitive, you know, and, and Kyle and I felt like, you know, to come through here tonight that it was going to take um, a, a near-perfect night to come out here and win. And, um, you know, we expressed those views to the pit crew and, and to each other and to the team, and, and it was about um, being your best when it matters the most. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a game seven situation, and you can't afford to be back on your heels or, or holding back, you know. You have to um, – run the race that's in front of you and, you know, judge off what's the circumstances that everybody else is having. But, uh, you know, it's just a tremendous belief in each other um, that <clears throat> I know even through his worst day that he's doing everything he can do um, as a human. You know, we're all human and we all make mistakes. But, uh, you know, it's just a tremendous belief in each other, I think, and that trickles down to the rest of the team. Go to Jim, J Dustin, and then Jordan. Jim Otter, motorsport.com. Kind of along those lines, um, there's a, been at times during these playoffs that Kyle seemed a bit uh, subdued. At times he seems a, a little perplexed about how things have turned out on the track. He's not been the greatest fan of the aero package. Mm -hmm. I just wondered, coming into this weekend, did you feel that despite all that, that he really believed that you guys were capable of, of coming out? like it did tonight oh sure you know um kyle's never wavered on the fact that when we put the car in the truck that we have what we need to win um and that's what makes it frustrating right because um as a company we are winning races and as a team we are elite and we do prepare to win and we do execute to win so when you don't win um it's frustrating well we didn't get to hear much of the kyle bush press conference after the race but uh that's what happens when the show's so exciting. You know, you get to talking and uh, you lose track of time. So uh, no uh, no big loss there. You know, we've all heard it before. So I want to thank you guys all for listening to the final inspection show today. Like I mentioned previously, two more shows to go this season until we uh, take a little break and uh, come back before Daytona. But a uh, big thank you for uh, for listening. And thank you to Dennis Michelson from D-Mike Media. For coming on, a thank you to Steve Zaki for coming on his own show. And Eddie Lapine from RacingNation.com as well. Hope you guys have a fantastic weekend. Happy Thanksgiving to all and to your families as well. Enjoy the time off of work if you get it. And if you don't, we, uh, we appreciate you working on the holidays as well. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the Final Inspection Show here on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.